A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheist waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kaufen schaffen es es gibt Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda DeGabra with Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode has been sponsored by Backyard Kingdom. Swing sets, sheds, pergolas, gazebos, dog parks, all side amenities, Dial 1-888-950-0033 for all your backyard stuff. Or you can email info at backyardkingdom.com. Backyard stuff, that's definitely something I wish I had for my kids. Some swing sets and pergolas, that would be great. So maybe maybe we'll even get them to open a branch here in Beit Shemesh. But definitely you should get some of your backyard stuff at Backyard Kingdom, info at BackyardKingdom.com. I'll post the link. It's also sponsored by the Kailal Tzilei Shel Heichal of Rabbi Vigdor Nebenzal in the old city of Yerushalayim. 557 Avreichim from all across the Jewish spectrum, all in one base medrash, opposite the Makam Hamikdash in the old city. Check that out at KailalKotel.com. K-O-L-L-E-L-K-O-T-E-L, kolelkotel.com, and definitely also a worthy cause. And that I could attest to personally. I see them on my, uh, I pass by the base medrash on my old city tours. Um, Definitely something special and a sight to see. So you definitely want to get involved in that kailal as well. So we're going to continue the Tour Bites uh, series that I started uh, last time about the Chayz of Lublin, so I'm going to continue sharing some tidbits of tours I, from tours I normally give, um, and we'll stay in Lublin. This time we'll talk about Yeshiva's Chachme Lublin um, and Tour Bites, a little bit of a different style um, episode. Um, it's more sharing what I do on a tour and and tour style, of course, without the visuals. That you'll have to come on a tour in order to get the visuals. Uh, and we'll be exploring Yeshiva's Chachmulin, not getting too far from the Chayz like we did last time. By the way, before I start, um, I also listen to other podcasts as well, and I noticed yesterday a the uh, new episode dropped on Sfarim Chatter, and it was with Professor Elisheva Baumgarten, who I had the privilege of studying under at Hebrew University, took a course by her, and uh, so I listened right away. And uh, it was fantastic. Uh, so if you're interested in a really great episode on Sfarim Chatter, 
um, then you definitely want to hear what Professor Eli Sheva Baumgarten has, has, has to say about history research. She's specifically talking about the Middle Ages, but it can be applicable to uh, every body of research, and uh, she has uh, definitely had an impact on the way I approach research methodology in my own historical research. So that was a good episode there. Um, but getting to this new installment of Tour Bites, we're continuing where we left off. We start off in the old Jewish cemetery of Lublin regarding the Choyze of Lublin. We're going to stay in the same city. We'll be discussing the crown jewel of Tyra in this city in the decade before it all ended, in the decade before World War II and the Holocaust. And that is, of course, Yeshiva's Chachme Lublin of Reb Meir Shapiro. And right there, you see that there's two components to this story. There's the yeshiva itself, the yeshiva's chachmavin, the story of the yeshiva and and everything about it. Um, and then there's the yeshiva's founder, Mayor Shapiro, his biography, his journey, his vision. And of course, the two cross, pa- cross paths in the yeshiva itself, but the two of them also have their own story, independent of the other. And it's Rather difficult to separate them, but it is really two separate stories um, in in which which cross paths uh, for a nice chunk of it, and it is challenging because the personality of Ramir Shapiro is so dominant. He was so charismatic and so visionary and such a leader and uh, such an amazing, uh, uh, full, rich personality that it almost overshadows his own yeshiva. But it it will I'll try to give the story of more of the yeshiva and Ramir Shapiro probably deserves his own episode anyway so maybe we'll do that in a tour bites episode maybe I'll do that in its own regular Jewish history sound bites episode but either way when we go to the building on trips today it's been completely uh, redone refurbished it's on Lubartovska Street in the center of Lublin as it was when Ramir Shapiro got the property because he wanted it to be in the center of town it should be in the Merkaz it should be in the center of consciousness of Jewish life it was symbolic as well and um, it's also funny that that when we finished touring the building of Yeshivas Chachm Lublin on the trips so many times in the group they're expecting to go to Ramir Shapiro's kever from there, which would be a natural continuation of the uh, of the guiding, but uh, in the late 1950s, 1958, um, the, the communist uh, government was um, was gonna, was destroying the process of destroying the new Jewish cemetery of Lublin, um, which it is till today. It's destroyed, and um, Rabbi Meir Shapiro's brother was a rabbi in Brooklyn, Rabbi Ram Shapiro, and he arranged. Um, with a one of the few local religious Jews left to survivors after the war, under communist uh, communist life, um, still Shemer Shabbos, uh, you know, and he asked him. His name was Nachum Sish, um, and um, and he his daughter told me this story, and uh, he uh, he uh, dug up the cover of Rabbi Shapiro, and it was transferred to Haram Menuchis, which was a relatively new cemetery in Yerushalayim at the time, and that's where Rabbi Shapiro is buried. So we go to him on my Haram Menuchis tours, um, which is also um, quite popular, but not as popular as the Lublin tours. That's uh, that, that's something else. And uh, if if Ram Shapiro, his Rabbi Shapiro's brother, who's buried with him, actually, and one of the only Eichels in the entire Haram Menuchis. 
But uh, if Ram Shapiro uh, had, was able to see the future, that there would be tours to Poland one day, he probably would have rather risked uh, it under the communists and keep his brother there because many, many more people would visit Ramir Shapiro's cover if it was still in Lublin than it is on Haram Anuchis. Unfortunately, that's the reality we live in. In any event, so the the um, the uh, the story is is that um, that the the building you know the property and then the building is built by Ramir Shapiro with many years of fundraising and and uh, and then of course the Nazis take it over during World War Two, use it for their own purposes for offices for storage for all kinds of desecration of this holy building. And and then there's no Jews left in Lublin, of course. Uh, uh, Lublin was the center of Operation Reinhard, the uh, the plan to exterminate all of Polish Jewry in central Poland and the general government in, uh, of central Pol- Nazi-occupied Poland. And Odilo Gobocznik, the SS officer who oversaw uh, Operation Reinhard, his, his headquarters were in Lublin, Majdanek, the concentration and death camp was in Lublin, and the, that was the center of operations. So there's really no Jews left in Lublin or the whole area after the war, almost none. And so the Soviet, well, it's really communist government, it's a Soviet satellite, it's not in the Soviet Union, the communist government takes over the building, it's part of the local university, it's used as a nursing school or a dental school or something of the sort. And then in with the fall of communism and the Iron Curtain, so the government of Poland, the new and uh, uh, when Poland became a republic, a, d- a democracy again, so it returns the building to the Jewish community. And there's no Jewish community in Lublin really to speak of, very little, so it's the Jewish community of Warsaw. The Jewish community of Warsaw owns the building and they had it refurbished and and then, and then they, of course, they went ahead and opened a hotel there and a restaurant and the whole thing. So that's the Jewish community of Warsaw. always love to hear the groups who come in and they see this hotel there and, and a restaurant that's, of course, not even kosher food. And they say, ah, these Poles, look at those anti-Semites. They, they, they desecrated the building again. So actually the Polish government returned it to the Jewish community and it belongs to the Jewish community, so the so the the Poles that you're referring to returned it to the Jews. But it's the Jewish community in Warsaw that opened the hotel, and it's probably to finance the building. They're not a very wealthy community, so they probably, in order to maintain the upkeep, they have this uh, whole business there going on. Um, that's just my assumption. In any event, so that's the building today that we go visit. But the base medrash has been refurbished. And it's a base medrash again with an Aaron Kaidish and Sifri Taira inside and benches and shtenders and svarim and the groups can come and sit and learn and people give a dafyaymi shir and on the side there's a nice museum exhibit to see about Ramir Shapiro and the history of the yeshiva. So it's a wonderful place to visit. It's one of the only places where you get a real, real authentic feel of it, being in a base medrash, of being in the yeshiva. And uh, it's not just uh, visiting some destroyed building like in most other places. So, getting back to Ramir Shapiro and what his goals and vision of opening the yeshiva were, he 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 named the yeshiva Yeshiva Schach Milublin, which really is his vision. It's to it's a throwback. It's it's what he said is to be Machzir Torah It's to restore the glory of Torah back to Lublin. We're living in the interwar period, nineteen uh, twenties. That's when when Ramir Shapiro thinks about this this vision of opening a grand yeshiva in Hasidic Poland, 
and he wants to choose Lublin. He, he, in the 1920s, he's not the rabbi of Lublin. Ramir Shapiro is first the rabbi in, he's a Galicianer. He grows up, he's a Chartkever Chassid, a Chassid, a Chartkever Rabbi, and he is, is, is a, grows up in a rabbinic home in Galicia. He's a descendant of Rapinchas Akaretz and the Megalamukas and many others, a famous Shapiro family, and he, and he, uh, he's a rabbi in Glina, in Sanok, and then in Pietrakov, in, in Poland itself. He's upgraded from Galicia to Poland. And uh, and only later, when he opens the yeshiva in 1930, does he is he appointed by the Lublin Jewish community to become the rabbi of Lublin as well. So he's building these, this yeshiva in a t- city that he's not the rabbi in. He's the rabbi in first in Sanuk when he first start you know promulgates the idea of opening the yeshiva in Lublin, and then <clears throat> while he's fundraising for it and building the building, he's actually the rabbi in Pietrakov. So why is he building the yeshiva in Lublin? Because he has this vision, he has this goal that it's going to be machzir atarliyashin. It's going to restore the 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 the, the glory, the, the the crown of Torah to Lublin, to Poland. Because in the 1920s there is this mass secularization of the youth. There, it's a very tumultuous time. It's a changing time. Post World War One, the Second Polish Republic. And there doesn't seem to be any future for Torah Yiddishkeit, for Torah Judaism, for yeshivas in Poland, especially in Hasidic Poland. And the old style of learning in Galicia was that the local Hasidic shtibel, or Beis Medrash, the youth studied in, in a less formal fashion, more haphazard, less structured, um, and, and that wasn't working anymore. And he felt that it needs to be glorious. A yeshiva needs to be a grand building in the center of town with a campus, with a yard, beautiful building. And it has to have its own full structure. It has to have a dormitory, a nice, beautiful dormitory where the boys can feel like they're, they're, this is their home. They're proud to be part of it. And everyone in this city looks up to the yeshiva and the yeshiva building and the yeshiva students they're not the, the yeshiva students don't have to live by people don't have, they don't have to met very often in that part of Poland the yeshiva students were living as night watchmen in the stores Ramir Shapiro who had a phenomenal sense of humor used to say that if not for the thieves of of Poland there would be no Torah we have to thank the thieves for Torah because since store owners needed night watchmen, so they would hire the yeshiva students to be their night watchmen and live in their stores. And that's how the yeshiva students were able to have a place to live, a place to sleep, before Chachmei Lublin opened, where there was a dormitory. It was the first yeshiva with a real full, nice dormitory inside the yeshiva building itself. It had a dining room and kitchen with meals every day in the yeshiva itself. Definitely the first yeshiva with a mikveh in the building. It was a Hasidic yeshiva. And 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 this took up most of the building. All these offices and dorm rooms and kitchen and dining room and chabur rooms and shear rooms. If you go into the base medrash in Yeshiva's Chachmulbin, the first question I get from every single group, as soon as we go into the base medrash, how come the base medrash is so small? Look how big the building is. How come the base medrash is so small? Because the base medrash in Rameir Shapiro's vision was only one component of the yeshiva. There was so much else, part of the yeshiva building, part of the yeshiva structure. And and the, and it was supposed to be the most beautiful building. 
that you're proud to be a part of it, and and good meals and and and, and luxurious accommodations almost. And the Yeshiva's Chachmei Lublin, it's the throwback to the 1500s when people like the Marshal and the Maram and Reb Shalom Shachna, the original Yeshiva of Poland was in Lublin. Reb Shalom Shachna opened the first Yeshiva in Poland. And, and then the Marshal continued and the Maram continued. And in the glory days of the old Polish kingdom in the 16th century, Lublin was the center of Torah, Torah life. The Rebbe Reb Heschel, when his yeshiva, when he had was the Rosh Hashiva in Lublin, two of his famous students at that time in the 1600s were the Taz and the Shach. So you're talking about Lublin had this glorious history, and Rameir Shapiro says this is the yeshiva of the Chachme Lublin of yesteryear, and we're here to continue that legacy. We're here to continue that 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 in today's Lublin. The yeshiva itself lasted for nine years, from 1930 to 1939. Very, very short time. Um, he fundraised for several years before that just to put up the building because it was an enormous expense. And Ramir Shapiro, being a modern visionary, he understood the power of media and media covering major events. So by the cornerstone laying, and even more so by the dedication ceremony, the grand opening, he would invite the Polish press, he would invite the secular Yiddish press, the height, the moment, and he he understood the power of media coverage. He was a great public speaker. He was very dynamic, very charismatic, and he understood the hype of publicity stunts, primarily as fundraisers, but also to raise awareness in general, with the, so that you know to help lobbying with the local Polish government, the the municipality of Lublin, and uh, with the. He was also prominent on the national government scene. He was a member of the Agudas Yisrael in the Polish Parliament during the 1920s, and the the demog- you know the goals of the yeshiva were to, were, was to be the greatest yeshiva in Poland, and to just be one of the yeshivas. He eventually wanted to spawn a movement that every provincial town would have a <coughs> excuse me would have a small yeshiva. Every major city like Warsaw, Krakow, Lvov. Uh, Lodge, all these yeshivas would have yeshivas chachme Lublin's eventually. That was his goal. Um, and uh, his real, real vision was that eventually he would open a super yeshiva in Yerushalayim where the greatest students of Poland would go and, and complete their studies. Um, but that, you know, most of it never materialized partially because of his own tragic and untimely passing at the age of 46 in 1933. Um, very tragic, very short life, and he had so many more plans to do. Um, and uh, so he himself was only the Rosh Hashiva in Yeshiva's Chachmah for three years. Um, the, ne- the next six years, it was a whole kind of like a team that took over and, and was the, ran it. It was a Vad Menahel. It was a, a, an administrative body that, over, that oversaw the operations of the Yeshiva. It was headed by the Bayana Rebbe in Krakow, Rabbi Moshe New Friedman, and several others. Uh, but the Rosh Hashiva itself was Ritzviarye Fromer, the Kajlikovarov, who was also an amazing personality. But um, but the but the Yeshiva had grew. There were several hundred students, three, four, even five hundred students. It's hard to know the exact numbers at different times, but it ranged from three to almost five hundred students um, at its peak, and um, and it was, it was quite large. And it was a Hasidic yeshiva. I remember bringing uh, bringing a a, 
a group where the head of the group was a very, very yeshivish, uh, litvish, rosh yeshiva um, from Israel. And uh, and when I talked about how it was a Hasidic yeshiva, Mer Shapiro was a Charkov Hasid, and uh, it was a Hasidic yeshiva, it was Leblin, who was Central Poland, who was supposed to be the greatest Hasidic yeshiva in the world, he, he couldn't handle it because he was always taught that it was a very, very impressive yeshiva with very top-notch learning, high-level learning, he had to know many, many pages of Gemara, many Blat Gemara to get in. And people throw around different numbers, 200, 300, 400 Blat Gemara, I'm not sure which one is true. But you had to be quite knowledgeable in Gemara in order to get into the yeshiva, entrance exam, and people got smicha there, they became big rabbis, so there was very high quality learning there. And this uh, Litvish Rosh Yeshiva from, from Israel, he couldn't handle the fact that it was a Hasidic yeshiva, if it was so good, such a high level learning. He couldn't believe it. He refused to believe me. So I guess he was a bit of a racist, but that's his issue. And uh, he, he's like, he's arguing with me the whole time. And uh, finally, he he made this discovery over the course of our trip that Reb Shmuel Vosner's home in Vienna, he was part of the... Reb Shmuel Vosner, of course, is one of the most prominent alumni who came out of uh, Chachmei Lublin. And he was one of the greatest Paiskim in Israel for decades Great, great uh, tzad, a great Torah scholar, leader. And uh, so this uh, is Israeli Litvish Rosh Hashiva discovered that Rav Shmuel Vazner's home in, in Vienna, where he came from prior to his coming to Chachmah Lublin, he was part of the Oberland community in Vienna. Uh, so he was Ashkenaz, a Chsam style community, so they davened Nusach Ashkenaz. So he comes running to me and he says, Rav Shmuel Vazner davened Ashkenaz, and he was Chach Meloblin. So you see, it was not a Hasidic yeshiva. So I said, I said, all right, you know, first of all, it's Eberlan, not Litvish. So, you know, it's Chsam Seifer, it's not it's Hungarian, it's not a Litvish, that's number one. Number two, um, it was still a Hasidic yeshiva, and you'll just have to come to terms with it, and, uh, you know, you'll get used to it. But the curriculum of the yeshiva was definitely unique because Reb Meir Shapiro was such a visionary. You know, they included Dafyaimi in its curriculum because Reb Meir Shapiro was the founder of Dafyaimi. In fact, on the entrance to the yeshiva, on the bill, on the, sorry, not at the entrance, on the facade of the yeshiva, on the two corners of the yeshiva's facade, um, it had the dates of the cornerstone laying and of the grand opening, the Chanukah Sabayas of the yeshiva, and it had the dates. And the dates in Ramir Shapiro's mind was the date of the Dafyaimi. So on the Dafyaimi, it said it, would say, it said it there. I don't remember which which Daf it was, but it had the Dafyaimi of the dates of the uh, of the cornerstone laying and the uh, opening ceremony of the yeshiva on, emblazoned on the on the facade. Also was a smicha program, and there's also Chumash Rashi. You had to know Chumash. Reb Chaim Kreisworth used to say. Was also one of the most prominent alumni of Chachmei Lublin. Reb Chaim Kreisworth used to say that uh, there were those who didn't pass their smicha examination because they didn't know Chumash Rashi. And Ramir Shapiro held that uh, was of the belief that you had to have the fundamentals of Chumash Rashi in order to be a proper Torah scholar. So that had to come first. You had to know Chumash Rashi as well. Um, there were different levels of the yeshiva. People came at a young age and then they. Um, and then they would move on, and they move on to a smicha program, they would move on to learning halacha, different areas of halacha. Um, one of the, the, the teachers in the yeshiva in the early years was Reb Shimon Zelichover, a very famous tzaddik, great Talmud Chacham in Poland, 
<coughs> excuse me, at the time, um, he and Ramir Shapiro didn't see eye to eye on educational methodology on how to teach properly in the yeshiva, how to deliver the shir. And Rabbi Shimon Zelachover was there day to day. Rameir Shapiro was usually fundraising. So he was there more with the students. Um, so this caused a bit of tension in the yeshiva. And following Rameir Shapiro's passing, the new administration had him removed. They had a confrontation and things didn't work out. So he left. Um, he was also later killed in the Holocaust, as was most of the yeshiva's Chachmei Ublin and its uh, teachers and Rabbeim. There was a small contingent of, of Yeshivas Chachmei Lublin that managed to escape to Vilna at the war's outset, and they ended up in Shanghai and had a branch of Yeshivas Chachmei Lublin in Shanghai during the war, uh, 30 or 40 or so students. And there was another few isolated students who survived the war or who made it out before and had moved to the United States or, or Palestine before the war. All in all, the one who's the one who's majorly researched all anything related to Yeshivas Chachmei Lublin is someone who I had the privilege of interviewing, Reb David Mandelbaum Shlita of Bnei Brak, and he told me that um, he's written books on the subject, um, and he's published Sfarim of many of the people from Chachmei Lublin as well, and he told me that about the, in, in the there were about eighty or so alumni of Chachmei Lublin around the world after the war either survivors or the ones who went to Shanghai or who had moved out before. But the other hundreds and hundreds of either students or alumni were all killed in the Holocaust. The one who was appointed the Rosh Hashiva following Ramir Shapiro's passing in 1933, and it was actually the Rosh Hashiva for the majority of the Yeshiva's existence. Again, the Yeshiva was around for nine years, and um, and uh, for three of them, Ramir Shapiro was still around. He passed away in the age of 46, 1933, without children, in uh, in, uh, in 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 1933, and then and then Rabbi Rabbi Tzvi Tzvi from Rabbi Tzvi from her, I always get mixed up. The Kajlik of Rav, that's how he was known, or the Eretz Tzvi, the the the, the Sefer that he wrote, um, and he 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 was the Rosh Hashiva, beloved also by his students. And most students were actually students of his, because he was the Rosh Hashiva for the majority of the time. Um, he was also one of the Agers, one of Reb Leibel Agers' uh, grandchildren, I think his name was Reb Avram Eger, or Reb Shleima Eger, um, was the Rosh Hashiva there as well. They had another unique thing in the Yeshiva, was a model in one of the rooms downstairs in the basement, was a model of the Beis HaMikdash, uh, which was made by a chassid named Henech Weintreub. And he... Um, and he built this incredible, intricate, beautiful, large model that took up an entire room of the Beis HaMikdash in all its detail. And the stu- many students in the yeshiva would study Kachim. That was another area of study that was popular in the yeshiva. And they would utilize this model of the Beis HaMikdash to have a real visual of, uh, of, of studying the laws of Kachim, which is very, 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 very useful and also very modern, very... Um, you know, way, way of thinking of using the you know a model to understand the halachas in in the kachim, um, and like I said, there was a a, uh, a mikveh as well because it was a Hasidic yeshiva. There's also a an impressive library. One of Rameir Shapiro's goals was to have a Torah library that would be the largest in Poland and possibly the world, and he collected thousands and thousands of volumes, and just to have svarim available but also manuscripts, rare svarim, first prints, 
He wanted this to be the central Torah library of the entire Poland, and he amassed maybe even tens of thousands of volumes. It's it's it's, it's hard to know exactly. They were in the middle of cataloging it um, first in in, in the Yeshivas Chacham Blin's days, and then the Nazis were interested in it, and they cataloged it as well, at least partially. Um, there's a legend that the library was burnt by the Nazis, and and many a tour guide has has talked about that uh, when standing in front of Yeshivas Chachmei Lublin in the yard, in the courtyard in front of it, where this supposed burning took place. But uh, that is just a legend. The um, the uh, library was held intact by the Nazis. They wanted to keep it uh, for their own use. And um, and then it um, most of it uh, disappeared. It's still being searched for. It pops up at auctions. It's in the archives in the Jewish Historical Institute in Warsaw, there's a, there's some volumes, there's in other libraries, other archives, and it's still being put together. There's some uh, activities uh, still being done today to restore it and find uh, um, the lost volumes of the Yeshivas Chachem Lublin Library. So it was a revolutionary institution to a certain extent because Rebbeir Shapiro's belief was that the honor of Torah has to be restored by having a beautiful building, by having a dormitory and a kitchen and a dining room in the yeshiva building, by having all the amenities, the physical amenities. It wasn't just, you know, a yeshiva. That, you know, someone, uh, do, some donor once uh, told her, Mary Shapiro, um, a wealthy donor, he said, you know, you're building this beautiful building and the, kid, the guys get these nice dorm rooms and good nutritious meals they're living like kings. They have this beautiful yard with trees that they get to take a walk every day for exercise and fresh air. And and, and they're living it up, you know. And and Romer Shapiro said, and, and then this donor says, it says in the Mishnah in Pirkei Avis, Pas b'melach toichal, mayim b'mesura tishte, alaretz tishan chayet tsar You know, when you study Torah, you have to do with tsar and, and, and uh, with... Uh, with uh, with pain and not eating much, not sleeping much, because that's that's how you that's how you achieve greatness in Torah. So Ramir Shapiro, who always was humorous, was always funny. He always had a play on words. He always had these sharp lines. He has he was the master of the one liner. He was he was incredible like that. So he said uh, that he paraphrased the. The, the next sentence in that same Mishnah in Pirkei Yavis, he said, Im He said, if you do that, then you can, you know, then you can tell others to do that. But you live in a nice home, and the Shiva students don't deserve any less. They're studying Torah, they deserve to be treated well, they deserve to be treated nicely, they deserve to live well, and this way we can take care of them, and then they will be able to uh, achieve greatness in, in Torah. So, there's this. There's this. That's there's that's the vision. It's a radical vision, a re, almost revolutionary vision, um, and um, that it, that in many ways remains a legacy of yeshivas Rachmel Blin, because many yeshivas, if not all of them, today have it to a lesser or more extent adopted his model. Almost every yeshiva today has a dormitory and a kitchen and a dining room. Uh, that all comes from yeshivas Rachmel Blin. Many yeshivas uh, believe in the philosophy of, you know, properly taking care of its students, and uh, and there and thereby it will enhance 
their uh, learning. Uh, that will enhance their their growth. That will enhance their environment. Um, it will make a conducive, welcoming environment to be able to grow in Torah. That all comes from Amir Shapiro. That all comes from Yeshivas Rachmanin. They were a pioneering institution. Um, it, it was a tragic day uh, in in 1933 when he passed away. In fact, when when Amir Shapiro was once fundraising in Ludge, um, uh, so. Just like, you know, it's very common throughout Jewish history, someone's fundraising a lot. So people say, oh, well, there's no transparency. What's he fundraising for? How much of the money is he pocketing? What percentage is he taking? So people were saying the same thing, spreading the same rumors about him. And he decided to address those rumors publicly. And he said to the crowd in Ludge, he said, I don't have children. My wife and I were never blessed with children. He said, I have two children, Yeshivas Chachme Lublin and the Dafyaimi. The Dafyaimi, there's not much of an overhead. He's fundraising for Yeshivas Chachme Lublin. But he used to say, I have two children, Yeshivas Chachme Lublin and Dafyaimi. And he said, you know who I'm fundraising for? It's not for my children because I don't have any. He said, it's for Dein Kinder, for your children. They're going to come to Yeshivas Chachme Lublin. They're going to grow. They're going to become great. Rabbis and Torah leaders and the Yeshivas Chachmoblin is going to provide the rabbinical leadership for the entire Poland. It's for your children. That's what I'm doing it for. Um, so his 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 passing was a tragic uh, day in in the yeshiva. But before his passing, they already had a major event. Besides, for the opening, they celebrated the Siyum Hashas in Yeshivas Chachmoblin. Um, the first Siyum Hashas of the Dafyaimi. Um, Rameer Shapiro presided over in the yeshiva. The second Siyam Hashas was presided over by the Kajlik of Arav, uh, in the yeshiva, and they had a Hachnasa Sefer Torah in memory of Rameer Shapiro um, by this event in 1937 or 1938, um, and uh, one of the last major Torah events in Poland before it was all destroyed before the Holocaust was the second Siyam Hashas of the Dafyemi in Yeshivas Chachma Blin, where a Sefer Torah is dedicated in memory of Rameer Shapiro. In fact, I had the privilege of taking a group uh, to Lublin for the 13th Siyam Hashas, the last, the most recent group, and there was another group there. There were several groups there, actually. It was hundreds of people. Um, and there was an, one of those other groups ha- had a, someone funded, I guess, a, a, a Sefer Torah to be dedicated in memory of Rameer Shapiro, to be put in the Aron Kaidish of today's Yeshivas Chachme Blin for groups to use when they come there for Shabbos and uh, to use. And um, I pointed out to the assemblage that uh, this is a reenactment of the second Siyam Hashas. We're participating in a Hachnasa Sefer Torah in memory of of uh, Rameer Shapiro. There was another event that it was used for, actually, very interesting, uh, not not so well known, is that uh, with the Iron Curtain falling uh, of the Soviet Union in the early 1920s, following the Bolshevik Revolution, so the border is sealed between Poland and the Soviet Union. So Breslov or Hasidim, living in Poland, could not make it to Uman anymore for Rosh Hashanah. So they would... um, they, and, and since Yeshiva's Chachmoblin was a Hasidic Yeshiva, so all the students would go home for Rosh Hashanah. They would not be in the Yeshiva. They would go to the Rebbe, not home. They would go to the, their respective Rebbes. The, the, the Hasidim, the, the students of Chachmoblin belonged to every imaginable Hasidic group in Poland, and they all went to their respective Rebbes for Rosh Hashanah. So the Yeshiva building was empty. 
So Rabbi Shapiro had this empty building, so he invited the Breslover Hasidim in Poland to utilize the Yeshiva Zachman for the great uh, kibbutz, the great gathering of Breslover Hasidim, and they couldn't make it to Uman, they used Yeshiva Zachman So it has Breslover history as well. Uh, legacy of Yeshiva Zachman to a certain extent, there was a branch opened in Detroit, Yeshiva Zachman in Detroit, that operated in the 1940s and 50s for a short time. There is one in B'nai Brak till today that Rabbi Shmuel Vosner opened, in a neighborhood op- uh, named Zichrein Meir, very apropos, um, named for a Meir Shapiro, built by a Chartkever Chassid, a uh, fellow Chartkever Chassid, uh, Reb Chaim Yankiv Halperen. And um, so that's another Yeshivas Chachmoblin. There's the prominent alumni around the world, like I mentioned, Reb uh, Chaim Kreisworth and Reb Shmuel Vazner, but there are many others, Reb Pinchas Hirschsprung, of course, in Montreal, but there are quite a few others. But really, it's beyond that. I feel like, uh, like I said, uh, all over the world, um, uh, you know, the yeshivas today are somewhat continuation of the legacy of Chachma Blin. In fact, what I usually tell the groups is, look at this beautiful building. And it's almost tragic that it was only used for nine years. But I think that if we look at this edifice, as I said, Romer Shapiro in 1930, he oversaw the grand opening. I said, if we just change the name of 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 his of his ceremony from grand opening to cornerstone laying, then we'll say that those nine years were one long cornerstone laying, one long laying the foundations of the yeshiva world for after the war, and the the yeshiva world in both Israel and the United States uh, built rebuilt after the war is in some way a continuation of the legacy of Rameir Shapiro and Yeshivas Chacham Lublin. And um, and therefore, it's not it's not it's not uh, it's it's not so tragic anymore because this big beautiful building was just a cornerstone, and all the other big beautiful buildings of yeshivas around the world are its continuation of that same building. So, like I thought, we did not have that much time to speak about Ramir Shapiro himself and the stories about him, and I believe that we will have a future episode completely devoted to Romer Shapiro. So this is Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at yehuda.yehudageber.com. For questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, sponsorships, and lectures, you can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform, and I hope you enjoyed.